This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Refrain from romaine. That's the advice from health experts as some Canadian grocery stores pull the leafy lettuce from shelves after a warning about potential E. coli contamination. But there's no official recall. We speak with a food safety expert. And we've had another wild week on the markets. So how should you adjust your financial portfolio? Or should you? We get advice from an investment expert. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There's a hidden epidemic of seniors who suffer from dementia being abandoned by loved ones. One particular case in Denver is extreme, but not rare. 80-year-old Jerry Ellingson was found confused and wandering alone at Denver Airport after traveling from Florida with his dog. Jerry was sent on the one-way flight by his daughter, who didn't want to care for him. She texted his ex-wife Jackie to pick him up at the airport, and when she didn't show up, police questioned her. Miss uh, Jackie, what's uh, what's your address? Why do you want to know? You're not, I'm not, if he comes to my house, I'm not letting him in. A survey found on a single day in September, 113 people suffering from dementia were stranded in Denver area hospitals. The agency responsible for keeping Canada's borders safe has issued a warning. Seniors are being targeted by drug traffickers, to smuggle illicit narcotics into the country. The scam is sent through email, websites, mail and phone calls. The Canadian Border Security Agency reports the scams prey on the seniors' emotional vulnerability by offering fake business opportunities or inheritances that include mandatory travel and paid expenses. I am the world's oldest rebel. That's 95-year-old Harry Leslie Smith. The British-born war vet now lives in Belleville, Ontario, and this past week many on social media were sending well wishes and love for the self-proclaimed rebel and agitator who was in intensive care in hospital. He spent his life as a passionate advocate for refugees ever since he witnessed the refugee crisis at the end of World War II. At his advanced age, he still meets with refugees around the world and advocates on their behalf on his podcast and on Twitter, where he has more than 200,000 followers. Seventy is the new 50. So say 73% of American women. 
only 59% of men think the same way. A new TD Ameritrade survey also found that many women would sacrifice their money for the opportunity to stay healthy until the end of their lives. The majority of female respondents said they expect to live until the age of 84, and their top priorities in retirement include spending time with family and friends, focusing on their health and wellness, and seeking out new experiences. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Forget the Caesar salad for dinner. Dozens of North Americans are sick after eating romaine lettuce contaminated with E. coli. And now, health authorities in Canada and the U.S. are advising people not to buy or eat romaine lettuce, even if they have it in the fridge, and suggesting that stores should not sell it. But they stopped short of ordering a recall. Why is that and what should we do? I reached Professor Keith Warner at the University of Guelph. It seems to be a common theme these days. Um, Last year we had two E. coli outbreaks with romaine lettuce and each time they gave what we call a health advisory. Now, normally what we get when we get uh, suspected contaminated food products on the market, we have a product recall. And so what's unusual about this is that this advisory kind of is unusual for two reasons. Um, One reason is that typically recall notices and everything comes from the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. And the other part about it is that a food advisory is not a recall, but it's a recall in another manner in that... By having this food advisory, what it's saying to everyone is saying to the public, saying we advise you to not eat romaine lettuce. It's advising the retailers not to sell romaine lettuce and obviously food service people not to serve it. And in a way, it gets um, the public health and the government out of a predicament of having to issue a recall that could have devastating effects on the industry. But what's interesting in this occasion is the industry actually asking for a what we call a blanket recall. All the romaine lettuce in North America should be recalled. Well, is the government just trying to be off the hook by not issuing an official recall? That's right. So typically what happens in a recall, they identify, and I'll take you back to 2006 for a very good example. In 2006, we had a, an outbreak of E. coli 157 to do with spinach. And on that occasion, there's a blanket recall. Any blade of spinach uh, that was in North America got recalled. Now, back in 2011, there was an outbreak with salmonella, which was thought to be linked to tomatoes. And what the, in the U.S., the CDC told the FDA, recall every tomato in North America, which they duly did. Now, the problem is, is that when they actually found the source of the outbreak, it was actually Mexican peppers. And so since that time, which I think was a landmark event, they've been very reluctant to do these blanket recalls. I can't think of one, actually, uh, since 2011. So it's a clever way of deflecting uh, responsibility, which I don't think, obviously, uh, especially federal bodies like Public Health Agency of Canada should be doing. Okay, uh, if there is an official recall, is it somehow better for retailers? Do they have access to insurance or anything like that? For retailers, they don't pay anything. And uh, essentially what happens is that if a product's recalled, all the cost goes onto the processor. There is insurance. They actually do call it recall insurance for these events. So what happens is the processor gets um, 
insurance money, and obviously the farmer does as well. And the sort of other side of it is having a product recall obviously loses consumer confidence. Like, who's going to eat the next... When you eat the next romaine, you're going to say, well, is it going to kill me, or is it going to be a nice Caesar salad? So it does give uncertainty, and um, at the end of the day, someone has to make the call. And in this case, public health agency who don't make recalls, the CFIA do, have said, well, we're not going to make this recall. We're going to leave it to the consumer to make retail to have um, a, not a recall, but an advisory, which is the same thing as a recall, I suppose. If it's just an advisor, can the processors still collect their insurance? Yeah, so any sort of event uh, where you get a, a product being rejected by retailers for whatever reason, uh, they can dip into insurance, but it still is a burden to them, and it's obviously very disruptive because they were expecting money from that uh, consignment. Consumer confidence is much more damaging than any cost of this sort of um, recall in brackets. Are there other types of lettuce that are less susceptible? Certainly, things like iceberg lettuce are less prone to it. They're much more sturdy and robust. And currently, if you can't get romaine, the iceberg's safe, the spring mix is safe, the other lettuce types, there's no need to worry about those. With other vegetables, you can cook it, and that usually inactivates the pathogen because it's sensitive to heat. Uh, but with lettuce, it's a totally open system. You know, it's, it's almost like it's an adapted to the lettuce environment, and there's that association with it. As a result of this, there are people who are saying, look at uh, a lot of lettuce and even things like cucumbers are mostly water. They don't pack a very big nutritional wallop. So eat something else. Eat kale or cook your vegetables. But this whole salad thing, a lot of it is the dressing and the croutons and the bacon that yeah. add a lot of calories. So it's not even necessarily that healthy. What do you make of this kind of, I guess it's a little bit of a trend where it's making people rethink salad altogether? You could actually get a cooked uh, kale, for example, which is much higher in vitamin K, much higher in iron. But when we have food, isn't it? It's almost like, well, there's two effects. One is that we get the fiber and everything that makes us feel full so we don't eat anything else. And also the sense of eating a nice Caesar salad is uh, very much better than eating a plate of broccoli or kale to some people. <laughs> um, well, to my daughter specifically. <laughs> so um, I'd have so, to, uh, I'm on board with that. So you don't see uh, all lettuces and salads taking a hit because of this? For now, it's good to uh, maybe suspend the romaine Caesar salad and do your iceberg wedge and um, until we get the green light. But certainly, yes, fruit and vegetables are one reason why we're living so long, I think. Okay. Professor Keith Warner, thanks so much for being with us. No, thank you. That was food safety expert Professor Keith Warner at the University of Guelph. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, how will these volatile markets affect your nest egg? We speak with an investment expert. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. 
It's been a wild, nerve-wracking week on the markets. This, as we expect, two more interest rate hikes next year. Investment expert Alan Small says that with current market volatility, there are some big discounts out there. He shared some tips on how to grow your portfolio as rates go up and oil plunges. If you're someone that is relying on income, someone that is relying on low-risk investments to provide that income like bonds or GICs, I think over the long term, it's going to mean higher interest rates and higher interest paid on your money. So if you're someone who invests in GICs or bonds, you have probably noticed that rates have gone up a little bit over the past few years. Now, not nearly, unfortunately, as fast as mortgage rates are going up. So if you're borrowing money, that seems to be going up a little bit quicker, interest that is being charged to you. Uh, but still, nonetheless, I'd say interest rates on bonds and, and GICs are still moving higher. For those that are in the stock market, well, I believe the stock market, at least initially, can continue to move higher as interest rates move higher. But once it gets to a point where interest rates get high enough, that is usually a deterrent for investors. And we tend to see the market sell begin to, to sell off as interest rates get above a certain level. How much do you expect interest rates to rise here in Canada over the next year or so? Well, I think Bank of Canada has given us every indication that they're not stopping. And uh, even though I'd love to see them stop, I believe that there are a lot of risks out there and that the Bank of Canada should maybe pause. So I think we could see at least another two rate hikes next year. Uh, I think it's all going to be data dependent, how much uh, inflation, if inflation is rising in this country. Jobs data, I think, makes a difference. Obviously, the mandate of central banks is to keep inflation under control and full employment. And so that's what the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve and all central banks look at uh, to see if they should be raising rates or not. If you get... Two or three percent on a GIC, that's eh, not very good. Not very good, yeah. You know, GICs over the long period of time, if you go back many years, unfortunately for investors, GICs don't help grow wealth, don't help you grow your portfolio. They at times can help you maybe maintain your portfolio, so make enough to keep up with the standard of living, even maybe after taxes. But very rarely do these type of vehicles actually help you grow your portfolio. We've seen a big drop in oil prices, and that certainly affects the TSX. Absolutely. Uh, the TSX, 20% of the TSX is made up of energy. And when energy is struggling, the price of oil has dropped from the mid-70s to the mid-50s on WTI. Uh, the price of energy or oil here in Canada is sitting somewhere on $17 a barrel. So uh, a pretty big discount from the oil coming out of the U.S., And so when you have these kinds of falls, you have energy stocks struggling, that's definitely going to affect not only our stock market, but even our dollar. And we're seeing our dollar sitting in a, you know, between 75 and 76 cents. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the price of oil. So how should people adjust their portfolios in light of that? Well, I think overall right now, um, I've been underweight energy and oil for quite some time. I believe there's a lot of oil out there in the world. And you know, I know President Trump has said many times that he believes that the price of oil is manipulated by a few different countries, whether it be OPEC countries, Russia, etc. And I agree with that. I think the price of oil is manipulated. If, you know, if the Saudis or the Russians want oil to be at a higher price, then they just announce a production cut. Uh, but if they were to all produce at their regular capacity and they were to produce, you know, they don't have to push it, just produce at a regular rate, I think the price of oil would be even lower than it is today. And so the reason why oil has gotten up to 75 recently, I think it's because of the production cuts that they've announced. And keep in mind, they're talking about production cuts again to get the price up from 55, maybe back up to 70 again. The price of oil is kind of range bound for a while. Uh, I think that if you're going to own oil stocks, 
own something that pays you a dividend, maybe something outside of Canada, like a British Petroleum or a Total out of France. These are paying 5 6% dividends. And I think while you wait for the price of oil to work itself out, you at least can make a nice dividend while you wait. A lot of the banks now that are trading on the TSX, a big sector for the markets here, the biggest market, our biggest sector in our market here, and probably the most owned sector for investors in, in Toronto and Canada is down right now. And I think that's an area maybe you can start looking at. Uh, if you once own these bank stocks or you continue to own, maybe you add more money to them because they pay great dividends. Those dividend rates have gone up because their stocks have pulled back so much recently. And how important are dividend stocks in a portfolio, particularly for someone who's older? Dividend stocks are extremely important. We know statistics tell us that more than half of an investor's returns over time come from dividends. And so when you consider that, how do you structure a portfolio? Well, it's always a great idea. You want to buy a good quality name, but if that name can also pay you a good dividend, what's a good dividend? Three, four, five percent. I think that's a recipe for success. Any other tips on what we should be getting into or getting out of given the current you know, crazy state of the market. Yeah, I think right now, I think in general, I think investors want to take a look at their portfolios along with their, hopefully their investment advisor. We know that those who have an investment advisor over the long term tend to outperform those that don't. So hopefully, you know, someone who's the people that are listening have an investment advisor. And what I would suggest is take a look at the names you have today. Are they working? Will they continue to work in a rising interest rate environment, an environment that has lower oil prices, an environment, unfortunately, that has trade wars going on? Do they still make sense? If not, there are a lot of options out there right now that are cheap that you can move this money into. And so I've been rearranging portfolios now for for the last month or so, moving out of names that I think no longer work, at least right now, and moving into names that I think will work in the future. And I think that's what all investors should be doing. Okay. Alan Small, thanks so much. Thank you. That was financial advisor Alan Small. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review coming up. Happy birthday to the singer of one of the biggest hits to come out of the mid-60s. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The Lever Gallery in London is hosting Mavericks, icons of the 1980s. Legendary photographer Peter Ashworth created album covers for The Rhythmics, Adam Ant, Tina Turner, and The Clash. In Dublin, the Irish Museum of Modern Art is hosting a major initiative with 52 works by British painter Lucianne Freud that are on loan from private lenders. In Taichung, Taiwan, a 93-year-old grandfather has saved his village from demolition by painting it with cats and dogs, creating an art attraction that draws more than a million visitors a year. His name is Hong. He's known as the Rainbow Grandfather and admits he's been overwhelmed by the response to his work. And the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art is offering an extensive survey of Chinese contemporary art, looking at China's sweeping social transformation over the past 30 years. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. This week's birthday greeting goes to the artist who recorded the first gold record for Atlantic Records 
as well as the first number one hit to come out of the famed Muscle Shoals recording studio. Percy Sledge was born November 25, 1940 in Layton, Alabama. Before making it in music, Sledge had a career as a hospital orderly while touring as a singer on weekends. In 1966, he recorded the song that would change his life. Sledge says the inspiration for the iconic song came after his girlfriend left him to pursue a modeling career, just after he was laid off from his construction job. Here is Percy Sledge with When a Man Loves a Woman. That was Percy Sledge with When a Man Loves a Woman. He was born on this day, November 25th, in 1940. He passed away April 14th in 2015. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.